0: Generosity. I'm sorry, radical hospitality. Well, either one. Don't correct me. Don't get carried away, Jay. And in particular, we're gonna look at radical hospitality in light of the gospel and the transgender movement. So we're going to where no man's gone before at this church. Matthew eleven nineteen says this: the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is repeating what people were saying about him in his contemporary situation. They said he, he was a friend of tax collectors who were the most despised people in, in that community at that time. Tax collectors and sinners, low-life the kind of people that, that, you know, moral people didn't hang around with. Jesus said, they said of Jesus, that's the kind of people he spent a lot of time with. And then in Romans 15, Paul picks up on that, and this summarizes this whole idea. Paul said, welcome one another then, just as Christ welcomed you in order to bring praise to God. We have a value at the vineyard of Radical hospitality. It's been one of our values since we planted this church 30 years ago. Uh, we've lived it out in a lot of different ways. And I, we're trying to, in the beginning of this year, just revisit some of our values and refocus on what our mission is and our identity and what God's called us to be as a church and what he's called you know, each of us individually to be and us together. So the gospel teaches us to practice this radical hospitality towards others. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, the others are strangers, our family, and even our enemies because we have experienced God's radical welcome through Jesus Christ. So we extend radical hospitality to others because through Jesus, we've experienced God's radical hospitality ourselves. So what would radically welcoming the transgender community look like for followers of Jesus? What would it look like? Now, before I go on, I, I want to tell you uh, truth in advertising here. I had some anxiety about talking about this because as I talked to people about this and what I think the gospel says about this whole issue, I just found uh, a lot of pushback and uh, a lot of the, I think, the, the feedback from the culture wars around us. And so... I'm not coming at this topic from a public policy standpoint. I'm coming at it from how do followers of Jesus engage other human beings who have a particular kind of struggle in their life. So if it, when you hear me, don't hear me talking about public restrooms and all the entanglements in terms of public policy that come with this issue. I'm trying to speak to our church from the viewpoint of how, what does the gospel call us to do with respect to our neighbors. So what would this look like? So I think for us to understand how we're supposed to welcome folks and engage people who come from a transgender community I think we have to understand this whole transgender phenomenon. So I want to take you down uh, just a, a little path of exploring this. So the issue, this issue, and this is, I want to start with this. This is really, really, really important in, in, this, in a conversation about this. This issue is about the lives of very real and often very young people, okay? Okay. It's not an abstract issue, it is about people, it is about real people like you and me. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, I did some reading this week uh, from an author, he's a, he's a clinical psychologist and he's a research psychologist and he was describing, uh, he, he's interviewed thousands of transgendered people because of his work and research and he, he talks about one uh, woman named Sarah, and she's, uh, you know, in her 30s, early 40s. And she came to him not in their paths didn't cross in a research project, their paths crossed because she came into his clinical practice and said, "I'm a Christian, and I've got this issue. I'm a transsexual." So she'd already gone through the hormone therapy and the sexual reassignment surgery, and she came to him, and and she was greatly conflicted, and here's what he said. Sarah said, Dr. Yarhouse, I may have sinned in the decisions I made. I'm not sure I did the right thing. At the time, I felt excruciating distress. I thought I would take my life, and then she said to him, what would you have me do? Like, this is where I'm at now. What do I do? He said he just was stunned at her honesty and vulnerability. But this is where a lot of people are at. Now, I want you to see this is a face. This is one of the most famous faces today of the transgender phenomenon. Raise your hand if you've heard of jazz. Okay, only a few of us. Jazz has a reality TV show that follows her. Sort of a docudrama. She's a real life uh, young woman. And when she was two years old, she asked her mother when a fairy was going to change her from a boy to a girl. Two years old. In this normal family, two older twin brothers, an older sister. She's two years old. She says to her mom, when is a fairy going to come and change me from a boy to a girl? Because she was a little girl who didn't feel like a little girl she felt like she was a little boy now it doesn't get any more real than that does it imagine if you were her parents I mean, you might dismiss that as what what do you mean? Dr. Mark Yarhouse who I've mentioned he said there's three key terms to understand in this whole issue of transgenderism the first one is gender dysphoria and maybe you've heard this before might be going over old ground and again I'm explaining this so that we can understand how do we demonstrate radical hospitality to people who are experiencing this transgender phenomenon. Because a, a lot of us do not understand it at all. The fact that so few of you have heard of jazz. Now maybe you know, you're you not into those kind of reality TV shows. But if, if you know young people today, they know who jazz is. Uh, and a lot of people know who jazz is. A lot of people in the church don't. Which shows how much we need to hear this kind of teaching because we need to understand the world around us. Gender dysphoria is the experience of distress that that ranges from mild to intense that's associated with the incongruence wherein one's psychological and one's emotional gender identity doesn't match your biological sex. In other words, you stand in front of the mirror and you see a male or a female but you don't feel like you're a male or a female. If you see a male, you feel like I'm female inside. And what science science researchers in this area tell us that between around 2 and 4 years old, this sense of gender identity emerges and it for most people, for 99 plus percent of the people, it matches what their biological identity is. But for this small group of people, around 1% of our population, depending on surveys, they don't feel like they're a man if they see a man in the mirror. Or they don't feel like they're a woman when they see a woman in the mirror. They feel like the opposite. And it's hard for us who have never experienced that to have any idea what that's like. But gender dysphoria goes from mildly distressing to intensely distressing. It's like living with a constant sort of psychological migraine headache that nothing seems to, to be able to address. Now there's another word that you hear thrown around, transgender. This is an umbrella term for the many ways people might experience and or live out their gender identities differently from people whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. So you you see people who are living out their sense of of being who they are uh, differently than the way everybody else does around them. And sometimes it's noticeably different from everybody else. Sometimes it's just mildly different. and You just think maybe they have... Their tastes, you know, skew this way or that way. But it's a reflection of this internal incongruence inside them about their body and their soul. Another word's important, transsexual. This is a person who believes he or she was born in the wrong body of the other sex and wishes to transition or has transitioned through hormonal treatment and sex reassignment surgery. So there's lots of transsexuals that are, you know, in the news. So, what causes this? If we're going to understand this, this is, this is going to be the most surprising fact that I give you today. What causes this transgender phenomenon? No theory has emerged that has enough scientific support to explain this phenomenon. That The researchers say we have no idea what causes it. Why, in a family of four kids, Jazz's family, why she has it. And why in another family of four, no one has it? And why in this family with just one child, that child has it? No one understands it. Uh, some, you know, there's, there's various theories out there. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to try to step into that. But they don't understand it. With all that we've learned about neuroscience, we don't understand it. It's a, it's a phenomenon. In Jesus' day, people ask Jesus, a question about marriage, and he went into this area he talked about eunuchs. And in his day, this is what people who were transgender would have been called. They would have been called eunuchs because they, they didn't have a normal sense of themselves. And he said that some of these people were born that way, some people were made that way by other people, and some people chose to, to be eunuchs. In other words, to not marry, not to pursue sort of a, a, a traditional approach to life. Because they did it for the sake of the kingdom. We can say this is one thing that, that seems to be universally accepted. Transgenderism, this schism inside, not all the choices that people make as a result of it, but this, this inner turmoil is not a choice. Back to jazz. Two-year-old kids don't just decide, I want to be... A different sex. They don't. And Dr. Mark Yarhouse said this in a lot of his writing. He said, I've found it much more helpful to take a posture of humility about causation and to focus on care. Now, here's some facts about transgender, the whole transgender community and, and the experience. That the best research says there's a range of three-tenths of 1% to six-tenths of 1% of our population are transgender. That's one to two million adults, and that's conservative. It might be more than that, but you know, n- nowadays it's hard to know. They experience bullying and discrimination and higher rates of sexual assault than the general population. 41% of transgender people have attempted suicide versus 1.6% of the general population. In terms of homelessness among youth, 20 to 40% of the youth who are on the streets are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and a lot of them are transgender. So they, uh, uh, I'll make another point. Followers of Jesus wrestle with this. I know followers of Jesus who wrestle with this, on this range of mild wrestling to intense wrestling. Dr. Yarhouse, in his clinical counseling and director of the Institute for the Study of Sexual Identity at Regent University, he's counseled to interview thousands of transgender people, from children to people in their 60s, and he says that, that most of them wrestle with two basic questions. And this is where our radical hospitality speaks to something that's deep in every human heart. Who am I? Where do I belong? Who am I? And where do I belong? He said he's encountered that over and over and over and over. Now Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Th- this, that seems to reflect this community of people we call the transgender community. There's tremendous confusion. There's tremendous harassment. There's tremendous upheaval. Uh, and they are people, they're people like us, who are wrestling with something that's really painful and difficult. And they're trying to sort out what, how to find their way in this this life that they've been born into. So now I want to talk about welcoming the transgender community. How do we do that? Uh, Again, Dr. Yarhouse said, he in all of his interaction with people across the board about this, he said that people view this transgender phenomena through three lenses. The first lens is they view it through diversity. Like transgender people are another unique kind of person, that we should celebrate them as unique, like they're like another ethnic minority. They're, they're just another minority who have something really special to offer us. And we shouldn't try to uh, shame them. We shouldn't try to change them. We should celebrate them. And we should welcome them. That's one lens that people view it through. Another group of people view it through a lens that this is a disability, that transgenderism is a disability, that, that people shouldn't have to live this way. It's clearly, clearly very, very hard on them, and we should have compassion on them, and we should be understanding, and we should help them figure out how to manage it and live with it. Change if, if we could help them, but, but alleviate the stress that they obviously experience as a result of this. Then the third lens that that people view it through. And this is the the viewpoint of of most Christians is the integrity lens, which means we see gender through the, the biblical framework of this created structure of male and female. That male and female are a binary structure of all humanity. That you're male or you're female and that God made the world to be ordered around that. and doesn't mean everybody has to get married, but this is the goal. Now, the, the, a lot of people don't see it that way anymore. These three lenses, people move... Uh, the, the, the fastest growing lens is the diversity lens. And it's a lens that's trying to deconstruct the integrity lens. Okay? The diversity lens says the integrity lens is oppressive. It, it's, it should be something that we stamp out. It's crushing people. It's robbing them of freedom. And then the integrity people say, you guys are part of the problem. Uh, you're the ones that are uh, undermining human society. And you're breaking us up into this aggregate pile of rocks. We're not even a community anymore because everybody's just their own little identity and everybody argues and fights over, uh, you know, the, our differences. And in between are the people who look at this as a disability, and they're just trying to keep their head down and just be kind to people and figure out how to sort through this. Here's a perfect example of how this, how this plays out in real life. In Jazz's story, and, and, you know, as, as, as she became prominent, Barbara Walters interviewed her and her family. And during the interview, she's talking to Jazz and saying, Jazz, what's this like, you know, tell us your story. And at a certain point, Barbara Walter says, okay, let's talk to your family now. She turns to the family, and as she's engaging them. She asked Jazz's older sister, "Uh, so what do you say to your friends when you talk to them and you try to explain Jazz to them? You know, your little brother is now your little sister, Jazz. Beautiful long hair. You have to see a picture of that. That was a picture when she was really small, but... uh, you would, you would see her and you'd think she was this, this beautiful young preteen because she's coming into her teenage years now. And so her sister said, well, I just say that my sister has a disability, that she didn't choose this, that, that we're, you know, our, our family love each other and we're trying to make the best of a situation that's really difficult for our, our sister. And so Barbara Walters is, has a sharp ear for interviews. She turns to Jazz and says, Jazz, How does that make you feel when you hear your sister explain that? Valid, valid question. Jazz says, well, it really upsets me because I don't think I have a disability. I think I'm unique. And I think people should love me and and accept me for who I am and stop trying to change me. And so here's that tension. The the tension in this one family that's like what we're talking about in our culture. It's in a microcosm right there. So... If we're going to welcome the transgender community, we have to engage each of these lenses in a different way. And to be truthful, I agree with, with Mark Yarhouse, who, who I borrowed this from. Each of the three lenses, diversity, it has something to say that we should listen to. The disability lens has something to say in terms of how we engage the whole transgender phenomena as followers of Jesus. And certainly the integrity lens does because that's the biblical basis that we, uh, that we view everything through. So these are the three lenses, civility, compassion, and faithfulness. We engage diversity with civility. Now, Now, you have to track with me here. Listen carefully. So everybody take a breath for a second. Just breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. We've been, you know, moving through this pretty quickly. This is going to be where you're going to begin to feel the challenge to your lens. Because each of you have one of these lenses. I'm sure in this room, there are people here with each of these lenses. Individuals who come from the diversity lens. Individuals who come from the disability lens. And, and, and many of us that come from the integrity lens. We need to engage the diversity lens and viewpoint with civility. Civility. And here's where we start. Listen to their story. I know in my experience of in, in encountering and engaging people who are transgen- transgender, I hear them at chapter six of their life. But there's five whole chapters of their life that I haven't heard. And I really need to understand it to relate to them at this point in their life. And we all do. People have a story, and we reflect their value to God by our respect for them, even when we disagree with them, because some people that you're going to engage are not transgender people. They are part of the transgender advocacy community, and they have a different viewpoint about sexual identity, and they hate the gender binary idea. They feel like it's oppressive. And we're going to disagree with them about that. I am. But I want to respect them. And I want to convey to them, by the way I treat them, that God values them, no matter what. That they're important to him. And the way that we represent Jesus, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. You are sent people, whether you recognize it or not. You know Whether you think you have the Jesus uniform on, and the Jesus bars on your shoulders, you do. And you impact people for the sake of the gospel, one way or the other, by how you engage them. And we have to answer their question. We have to answer the question of transgender people, of where do I belong? We have to tell them, we are all broken people saved by grace, and you're welcome here. And now this is a point I'm going to come back to. This is a point that's really hard for some Christians to get their heads around. That we are all broken people. We're broken in a different way than these transgender folks are broken. But we're broken. We have our own struggles. And, and then we have a way of, of putting on the makeup and putting on the happy face and you know acting normal. But you know we walk away and we all know we go home with, and, with struggles and issues in our lives that are very real. And they're, and they're oftentimes the part of us that we're ashamed of. And they're the part of us that we think, oh, gosh, I don't love this part of me. And so I don't want anybody else to know about it because they're certainly not going to, if I can't love it, then who else will love it? And I don't, don't want to hide it from God. We have to break through that, that mindset. We engage disability with compassion. And here's a question that, that Dr. Earhouse suggested. He said, when, when you look at a transgender person, you have to ask this question. How should we respond to a condition with reference to these three things? The goodness of creation, the reality of the fall, and the hope of restoration. We need to respond to people, not just transgender people, but anybody, with, res- with a sense of, How do I respond to this person in light of the goodness of creation, that God made things good? The way he made things is good. It's the best for everyone. But there's a fall, and things are not the way they're supposed to be. And then third, there's a hope of restoration. There's a hope in Christ that that things that, that are, that aren't supposed to be that way, can change. Significantly. And then we engage the integrity lens, and this is the hardest one, because we tend to look at the integrity lens, or those guys have it right. We can just leave them alone. It's not true. Many of us, the way we view the transgender phenomena and the people that it represents, we do not do it with gospel faithfulness. I'll tell you why. We think they're choosing to be like this. Sometimes we say it explicitly. I've heard people say this. Why don't they just change? You don't have to be like this. This isn't the way God made you. The Bible says he made us this male and female. If you're confused about it, you just need to stop saying that you, want, that, you don't, that you feel the way you feel. And then you'll change. Well, that's just folly. People have tried that. There are plenty of stories of people in churches who loved Jesus, who grew up loving Jesus, following Him, were serious about their faith, memorized Scripture, shared their faith in, in, in the middle of this kind of a, an experience of this tension inside them. And they got to a point where Jesus didn't change them, and, and all that they heard from their friends and family and church was this, it's your fault, you're just choosing this. Some of them killed themselves because they couldn't live within the tension of that. We have to stop saying this is a willful choice. It's not. There are moral choices that we make as a result of this condition that transgender people have to make. And we could talk about that. We have to uphold the biblical witness, though, of, of what Robert Gagnon says, the, the sacred integrity of maleness or femaleness that's stamped on our bodies. It's the sacred integrity if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to embrace what he embraced. He had views about marriage. He had views about humanity. And he taught them over and over and over. And they were radical then. They're radical now. They were radical in, in his community, even in the Jewish community that was shaped by the Old Testament. <laughs> but they were radical in the pagan community as the gospel went out. The answer, we have to answer their questions of who am I with you are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. That is a a profound thing for people to know. We're the ones that have the power and authority from Jesus to help people really begin to to hold on to that and believe that that's what God has for them in their life. We engage this integrity integrity lens with faithfulness. This is where the rubber meets the road for us as believers. So I'm going to be a little more pointed here. Unrighteous judgment arises from unaddressed personal issues. We want to tell people who are struggling with a transgender inner crisis, be faithful to who God made you, even if you don't feel like it. And choose to live your life out in in the real world, carrying the pain of that inside you that as an adult might lead you to have same-sex attractions. Deny those constant pressure, the, the, the pressure of those temptations and those feelings, and walk out a life of chastity. That's what we tell, and I think rightly so. People who don't experience any healing or any change in that inner conflict of being having a male body, but feeling like you're a female. This is what we tell them, or vice versa. And I think appropriately, you need to pick up your cross and bear it. But so many people who are hardcore about this, maybe some of you in this room, you're not picking up your cross in areas of your life. And you want to stand on a soapbox and tell them, you've got to do this, because you're undermining our society. And we're going through serial divorces and we're, we're, we're spending our money like maniacs on things that can't satisfy us and we're getting into more and more and more debt and we have a culture of debt now that's undermining the well-being of our whole nation. We, there's so many ways that we're not picking up our cross as followers of Jesus. And we have to, I don't mean we, we have to be perfect to challenge other people. We don't. But the thing is, I just noticed, I've been a pastor a long time. I've interacted with tens of thousands of people in, in the most intimate areas of their lives. And what I've always seen consistently is this. When I am unnecessarily hard on other people, it's because I have something in my life that I'm not dealing with. Now, I can, be, I can be very frank, and, and we can all be very frank and direct and challenging people and not have another issue, but I'm talking about this unrighteous judgment that we have towards people. And it's not just about trans- transgender people. It could be about anything. Some people are really hard on people that have drinking problems. Now, is an alcohol problem a big problem? Yes. Is it, does it have really serious consequences? Yeah. Yeah. But there are people who say, we need to lynch them. We need to like crush them and bury them. And I can understand that if you've lost a family member, a family member's been injured or killed by a drunk driver, or you've seen the damage the alcoholism does to a family and then to, for generations. Because if, if you've got one family that's been untouched by alcohol and someone becomes an alcoholic, that will touch gen- a thousand generations after that. It's it's that powerful. So I get it. We're not talking about something that's, that's, you know, like chewing too much bubble gum. It's a serious issue. But people who are judgmental towards alcoholics have something going on in there, inside them. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Hence Jesus saying, if you're going to take the splinter out of your brother's eye, you better take the beam out of your own eye. That's the principle behind this. And so what we forget in this is, if we could get back to this place where we go, the radical welcome that Jesus is asking me to show people is based on the radical welcome that I've experienced. Ephesians 2.8 says that we're not saved by our own works. In other words, I didn't clean myself up so God would welcome me jesus died on the cross for me took all my sins took my place so that i could be forgiven so i could be accepted and welcomed by god so i could experience all the good of his life he experienced all the bad of mine and he did that and i received all the benefit of the good of his life as a gift and then it says when i do that by grace through faith I become his worksmanship, and he keeps working that into my life. All that is his work. It is his welcome in my life. And if I'm living in that place where I'm bringing to him my brokenness, honestly and consistently, it's just a fact that you're going to be welcoming to other people. And if you're not, something is going on inside you that you need to stop and And get some help to look at. Because that's why Paul could say. At the end of the book of Romans. After he expounded the whole gospel so amazingly. He could say. Now the way that this is supposed to work out. Is this amazing grace that you've experienced. Is supposed to be extended. To all these people that are different than you. And that disagree with you. And that, that maybe even are people that are your enemies. So. What kind of support would you have liked from the church? This is a question that was posed in, uh, during a research project with, transgen- with, with Christians who struggle with transgender identity issues. What kind of support would you have liked from the church? Because here's the thing about not just the transgender community, but the gay and lesbian community is not an unchurched community. All statistics say the gay and lesbian community is a de-churched community. They have left the church. And many of them say, I would go back and I wouldn't expect the church to change their doctrine about my lifestyle. You know that that's what survey research over and over says about people who are self-identified as gay and lesbian and bisexual they say i've left the church not because not only because they say my lifestyle is wrong but the way i was treated and so that's that can be fixed you understand that shouldn't be that way now that may I, I, you know people answer research and survey questions uh, not always honestly but there's enough honesty in that and i've talked to enough Gay, lesbian, bisexual people in my life to know that's true. That the church is not a warm, soft couch to many of them. It is a it it is a gauntlet that they have to go through to try to meet with Jesus. And so they just go, I'm just gonna, I don't even know if I want to meet with Jesus, but I'm just gonna meet with Jesus on my own. And they're robbed of something that they're meant to experience of community, and we're robbed of them. And let me tell you something about the reality of the transgender world. Let me read this to you. This is what this man said. He said, the kind of support I wanted from the church is someone to cry with me rather than just denounce me. Hey, it is scary to see God not rescue someone from cancer or schizophrenia or gender dysphoria, but learn to allow your compassion to overcome your fear and repulsion. Learn to allow compassion to overcome your fear and your repulsion. Because that is in a lot of people's hearts. And I mean, it's, it is human when you see a disability of any kind to kind of avert your gaze, like, oh, it's awkward. You ever, you ever been in a store and see, when, see someone wheeling through the store in a wheelchair and they're missing both their legs because they're, you know, they're an armed services veteran? I just kind of go, oh. And then I look back and go, no, I need to look at that person. I will look him, I've, I've learned, I look him in the eyes because I want them to know I notice them. Because everybody looks away from them and their disability and doesn't notice them and they feel it. Ask someone sometime who's, who's disabled, if you know someone close up, people don't notice them. People don't treat them like they're people. And if you, if you, if you see anything about Jesus, and I want to close with this. If there's one thing about Jesus, Jesus noticed everybody. Now, we have this radical balance that we have to try to walk in because here's what Jesus did. He came in, according to the Gospel of Mark, and he said, repent, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So he met people with this amazing compassion. He healed people. He delivered people. He fed people. He taught them. He loved them. But then as they started grasping what he was doing, he said, now, you need to repent. You need to turn from what gives you identity to me and let me give you identity. Let me tell you who you are. Don't let your disability tell you who you are. Don't let anything else tell you who you are. The thing is, that is a process. There and anybody in this room, I know all you guys. Well, except for a few guests. Sorry, guys. I know you guys. I know your struggles. I know some of you even cuss. <laughs> I've heard you. And, and, you know, if that's the worst thing you do, you're doing pretty well. But I know you well enough to know that's not the worst thing that you do, Right? we're all repenting and believing. I'm repenting and believing today. And I met Jesus when I was 18. And I'm not gonna tell you how old I am right now, and it's rude if you ask. (laughs) I'm still repenting and believing after decades of following Jesus. I'm a lot different than I used to be. But there are moments in that where it's been hard. We need to be willing to look at people who say, I want you, you can look at a male and they want you to treat them like a female or vice versa. You've got to look at them and start where they are and say, hey, I'm going to to walk this out with you. And when you're crying, I'm going to be there and I'm going to cry with you. When you're laughing, I'm going to be there. I'm going to laugh with you. And I'm going to meet you where you are and I'm walking towards Jesus. If you're walking towards him, we're walking together. I'm going to stick with you through this. And, and, and I'm not, I, I don't have, we don't have the time to get into the nuances of how you walk this out with people. Except it has to start. We can't wa- think of walking anything out with anybody if we're not going to welcome them. If we're not going to give them the welcome that Jesus gave us. Now, don't you think the world is starving for that? If the two questions that they ask, are, who am I, which I know who I am now, and I can help them know who, who they are too, and where do I belong? You belong in the family of God, no matter what. We're all a bunch of broken people. Look at us. It's like a circus around here. <laughs> I, and I know you. I know it's a circus around here. But Jesus loves us, and we want them to experience that. So I want to ask you, you know where you are in this. I don't. I, I don't. I think there's probably maybe four people in our church I've talked to about this subject to know where you are. But I'm expecting when, when I ask you to raise your hands, you didn't know who Jazz was. Maybe you haven't thought about this. No judgment about where you are. But what I want to do is call you now to this place of saying, I want to be hospitable. I want the vineyard to be a place that's known For its radical hospitality. Because it's a place. that's experienced the radical welcome of Jesus. That he accepts people where they are. But we got to go on that journey together. Because we're not there right now. And we've had people come in and out of our church. We've had transsexuals come in and out of our church over the years. And some of them have not felt welcome. And they've left. And I think that's sad. Because they came here looking for a place to say, can I belong here? And we can, we can offer that. Many of you, I, I'm, I'm grateful to, to serve this church because so many of you, I think you have that welcome in your heart. This is something different. There are culture wars going on around this, around bathrooms and schools and locker rooms and all kinds of things. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's going to be easy. But these people, these are people that are amazing people. We just see their disability, the struggle they have. we don 't see their, their are they're loving people, they're smart people, they're artists, they're teachers they're you know there's their, all a whole range of of wonderful qualities in these people, but many of it 's buried because. Other people have put on them the identity, you're a transgender. And they've accepted it. And that's kind of defined them. And we want to bless them and help them learn who they are, who they can be. You know, I don't want to rabbit trail here, but I just I was, I found something out this week. I was reading through some little things, but it, it, it relates to this. Is like my dad, my dad and, and I weren't super close growing up. Uh, he was, you know, he was like his, his generation. He provided, he didn't talk a lot, worked hard, you know, worked two full-time jobs a lot of times. And, but he was a real visible guy. He was on TV in Houston. And, but my dad, if I was going to say something about my dad, my dad, uh, this is what, you know, uh, uh, my dad was uh, a baseball player, besides being a TV personality. And I just kind of think, that's all that was about my dad, and then when my dad got older, and then I had to, you know, move him up here to live with us, and I did that whole deal, and I was, I was uh, cleaning out their house and moving my mom up here, and it was a real weird emotional time. I remember going up in the attic because we had an attic, a little in Houston. The, the attic was about that tall. <laughs> the, the roofs are real flat in Houston. It's about that tall. My dad, mom put all kinds of stuff up there, so I had to get up there, right. You know, look how tall I am. It was not a pleasant experience. And it was in the heat in the summer in Houston. So I was just baking. And I find this violin case up there. And uh, I look at it. And and anyway, it turns out my dad used to play the violin. And my mom told me uh, that uh, (laughs) one of my dad's most embarrassing childhood memories was, because he was a real athletic guy, is his, he would be out playing baseball with his friends when he lived in New York City, and his mom would yell at the door, Gordy, come play your fiddle!
1: <laughs> and he would,
0: you know, he would go back in. But my dad actually played the fiddle at Carnegie Hall when he was 11 years old. I never knew that. And I go, what happened, to, what happened to my hand? I, I didn't get any of that genetically. But for some reason, my dad went into this sports thing and that was the dimension of his life where he got all this acceptance and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I never knew this whole part of him. And there's so many things about people we don't know. There's such riches and depths to people that we never find out unless we engage people or now they got to let us in. But I think an adventure, another adventure awaits us if we'll embrace this. I don't mean suddenly there's going to be 50 transgender people around here. I just mean there, there are more transgender people around you. If there's 2 million people in the United States, at least, who are struggling with this, there's a fair number of them around us. And I know that for a fact, personally. But I want you to stand with me for a minute and just ask the Lord to give us something to close. We, we really need to ask the Lord to give us his heart. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. And dismiss you guys but he wants to give us his heart for people not just for transgender people but just people in general and i know some of you there's fear in your hearts about this there's fear of oh we're going to compromise we're going to you know we're going to compromise the biblical witness and all kinds of things we've been through this before we're not compromising anything we faced a lot of things like this and we've we practiced a radical welcome and we haven't compromised a biblical witness. So we're not going to start doing it now. So please don't let that fear, you know, become like st- a stumbling block for you. So Father, we uh, open our hearts up to you and we just acknowledge that this stretches us. The idea of loving people who, who struggle with their sexual identity is really going to be a challenge, but we know you love them because you love us. So we, we put our hearts before you on, on the altar. We put our lives before you, and we ask that you would begin to give us your compassion for these men and women and, and their struggles.